Good morning, friends. Great to um, be back with you, and I trust it's wonderful just to see so many people. Um, I was watching online during um, the break, and it was wonderful to see the church full and lots of you still around. So I trust that it's been a good break for you if you did have a break and that you at least are feeling a little bit um, focused for the next section of the year as we rush towards Christmas. It always feels like a rush as we get towards Christmas, doesn't it? It's like everyone goes mad and the schools all have their events and there's end of year parties for everyone and you kind of arrive exhausted at Christmas and then you celebrate and then you leave Christmas also exhausted. Do you know what I'm talking about? It feels a bit like that. But um, I really hope that you've had a time over this summer just to at least recreate yourself in a way, refocus, take some time out just to be quiet and uh, contemplate your life and what God has for you and your family um, going forward. And uh, we've certainly tried to do that, uh, Helen and I, in, our, in, in, our, in our, our own family and for the church. And so what I want to speak to you about this morning, I've just called Future Church. And I'd like to take a month just to talk about what the church of the future might look like, uh, our specific church as part of that, but also then the broader church. What, are, what is happening in the world with church and how's it changed and how's it changing and what do we need to anticipate as we go forward in the next five, ten years of what possibly church might start to look like? Because I think obviously it affects all of us. And so I'd like to do that and then we'll get back to our series on um, Corinthians after about a month or so. So I don't know about you, but one of the things that I found very stressful in the last 10 years in particular is the pace of change in our culture. Has anyone else found that? Things are changing so quickly, and there's a real sense of stress that comes into your life when change happens rapidly, and you have to process it all the time and adjust your life to that change and um, try and make sense and meaning of it as you go forward. And much of what has been foundational in our culture for hundreds of years is being challenged and rethought and reinterpreted. And uh, that brings stress into your life when the foundation of your life has been a certain way for many years and suddenly it's challenged. Do you know what I'm saying? This is what we are facing in our culture right now. And in addition to the stress of this rapid change, We've also experienced the pain of COVID, which Helen um, alluded to already this morning, which has done so much damage, not just in terms of people's health, but as we're seeing now, also in terms of mental health and the well-being of hundreds, many thousands of people, especially children, young people, uh, the elderly who were cut off from um, relationships, just natural family relationships for so long, and there's been an increase in our in our society with dementia and all sorts of mental health problems as a direct result of COVID. And we're going to be, continue to process those things as a, as a nation for many years to come. Uh, the mental, uh, the uh, NHS has had problems now of trying to catch up with so many normal processes that they would have had that were shut down for two years. Uh, this has brought a lot of stress into our lives, a lot of, lot of things that um, we weren't expecting. And so... I want to reflect on some of that this morning and to think about the broader church, especially since COVID, and then also comment on a couple of things that I think are trends that we are going to need to anticipate and, and, and um, recognize as we move into the future as church. 
because some things have changed radically, and we need to acknowledge that. And I'm going to reference an article by a guy called Carrie uh, Newhoff, who's written about these things. And then the second thing I would like to do is look specifically at our local church and how it's changed in the last three years and what we can do as we move into the future to continue to flourish and grow as a local church, acknowledging all of the change that is happening in our culture. All right? So that's what I'd like to try and do this morning, those two things. Um, our church has grown significantly in the last two or three years since COVID, and that always changes the, the dynamic of how things happen and how we do things. And um, how do we manage that change without the church being morphed into something completely different uh, without us knowing it? And that's what I'd like to think about uh, with you this morning. We want to keep our sense of family, our sense of community, but at the same time, acknowledge the growth that God is bringing. Uh, many people are being added and saved into, the, into faith, and that's a beautiful thing. And so as I reflect on that second section, I'd like to look at some thoughts of, um, particularly of Tim Keller, who also experienced really amazing growth in New York for many years. He passed away recently, but he's written about some of these things as well. And so let's start then with, by reflecting on three trends, three future trends that I think we're going to continue to have to navigate as we go forward as church generally. The first is this. One of the first things I want to say is we are all going to experience the ongoing disappearance of the boomer generation in our churches. The boomer generation. Who are the boomers? The boomers are people like me. All right? Ich bin ein Boomer, in, in the words of JFK. Boomers are people of age 59 upwards. All right? So if you were born... 1964, and before that, and you are the oldest of the boomers are now 77, the youngest are like me, 59. Uh, those people are disappearing. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that. Some of them are dying, but it's been interesting that um, since COVID, one of the demographics of people that has not come back to church communities are people like me and older. The stats, I'm going to quote some stats from the Barmer um, uh, group that researches things in terms of church trends. And one of the biggest groups that hasn't come back to church meetings like this since COVID is people of my age and older. It's interesting to me. People that are millennials, so people from 27 to the early 40s, more, more millennials have come back to church, more Gen Z, younger people, 19 to 24, more of them have come back to church than older people like me. And there are various reasons of that. And why, why we really need to take stock of that is because the heart of it is that boomers like me have been the heart of the church for decades. That's true of mainline churches. It's true of evangelical churches. Um, they've, boomers have given. They've served. They've attended churches in droves. The relative age of boomers is going to impact our church trends in a big way. Um, so let, let me just give you some stats here. 54% um, of millennials say that they attend church primarily in person, but they're happy to watch online. 65% of boomers say they only attend in person. So in other words, people of my age and older, if they can't get into a church meeting, they don't they don't connect. They don't tra track with church. Younger people, happy to track online and come to meetings as well. Millennials and Gen Z are quite comfortable with a hybrid 
sense of church, while boomers like me, for the most part, don't particularly embrace online church. And this has, this has profound implications that we really need to think about if our churches are going to thrive into the future. It has implications in terms of attendance, in terms of serving, and in terms of giving. The fact that people like me are not returning to church and are getting older means that in the future, if we are completely dependent on the boomer generation still to keep things going, we're going to see less volunteers, less giving, less of everything as we move into the future. And that is going to be a problem for the church globally. Um, also, in terms of giving, boomers, have, as they're older and retiring, have moved past their peak earning power. And so their giving is reducing. And so for me, the real challenge as we look at these um, things is that the heart should be to pass on to the next generation, to the millennial generation and Gen Z and those coming after us to really hand on to people who love the gospel in those um, generations that they can take the church forward. Are you with me? And this is going to be the challenge that we all face in the next five to ten years. The collapse of the boomer generation within uh, evangelical churches, unless we acknowledge it and unless we take stock of it, we're going to end up like many mainline churches who have buildings and some money but no people. And that's not a future that we actually want to relish, is it? We want future generations to know about Jesus. And so we need to adjust our thinking, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need to, as a congregation, say, how are we going to work to pass on the gospel to those coming after us so that they, too, will know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, be passionate about the kingdom. Amen? The second thing I'd like to say is a trend that we, we need to acknowledge um, is that Churches that are really going to thrive for me in terms of the future are open churches. And what I mean by open churches, I mean open pastors, open leaders that are going to reach an open generation. Because the same Barna study says that the Gen Z, those born between 1997 and 2012, 19 to 24 years old, Gen Z is the most spiritually open generation that we have seen for many, many, many decades. So that's the, the news is not bad. Although, although church has, attendance has rebounded since COVID um, to above the levels that it was in 2019, um, we've also seen that in our church. We've seen younger people join this church, which has been absolutely encouraging and amazing. But according to this Barna study, Gen Z is the most unchurched generation, but it's also the most open generation in terms of spirituality, in terms of hunger for God, more so than my generation. My generation is closed, largely, still. If they haven't known God and haven't got saved, by the time they reach my age, not particularly interested anymore. But Gen Z is. And so for, for me as a, as a church, and as we anticipate the future, we have to somehow continue to engage with the millennial generation and Gen Z so that they too can see some of God's power in their lives and what he has for them. And so most of Gen Z believes there's a supernatural or spiritual side to life, but they don't believe that there's only one faith that works for them. 61% of under 25 say that. Yeah, we believe in the spiritual world. We believe this, but not one thing. You know, Christianity is too exclusive. And why do they say that? Because 
Uh, there are a number of reasons, and I want to give you just two this morning. Amongst, amongst younger people, and it's very interesting because I've had a lot of these conversations with my own sons, there is a um, distrust of government institutions. There's a distrust of mass media, and included in institutions and mass media is the church. It's just part of the way. There's a distrust that young people have for those things. We live in an age of mass information, of fake news, of out-of-touch politicians reflected in movements like Me Too. There's income equality all over the place. Conspiracy theories. Um, we live in an age of conspiracy theories. People believe in conspiracy theories. Do you know for most young people the fact, as an older person, if you believe conspiracy theories, it puts them off the church? Have you ever thought about that? These old people, they believe all this stuff, and it's just nonsense. And if that's what Christianity means, that the, you believe that stuff and you have these conservative political views, I don't want it. I don't want to touch it with a barge pole. Do you, do you understand young people think like that? <laughs> it's not helpful. We have absurd political theatrics at the moment, don't we, in our culture. And all of this puts young people off. Because within that, they see Christianity as a worldview that's endorse, endorsing these kind of views. And it's just not helpful. And so, as a result of that, many young people are questioning what they've been handed down and inherited and taught to believe in terms of what Christianity is. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that most young people are growing up in a much more diverse, much more culturally mixed world than you or I have done as older people. And that's a fantastic thing. If you, if you grow up in London, you can be connecting with people from all over the world. And what happens when you do that is that you begin to understand something of their worldview and what's shaped their lives and what's, where they've come from. And it's like you get a much broader perspective of the world simply because you're meeting people from all over the world. And we have to acknowledge that. That's particularly true for young people. Their, their lives are being shaped by other worldviews and other cultures in a way that older people's lives simply weren't shaped with. And as a result of that, they are also challenging uh, what they've been taught and inherited as an understanding of Christianity as a basis for their lives. And we need to acknowledge that as we try and preach the gospel. So it's easy to grow disheartened when you read these stats and you think, um, well, how do we engage with this? But like I've said already, the same study that I'm quoting this morning says that Gen Z are actually one of the most open generations towards spirituality, whereas only 30% of people my age are open to spiritual things. Isn't that an interesting fact? And so I want to encourage you this morning. How do we respond to these challenges? Well, I want to say this. A spiritually open generation is a reachable generation. I believe as we go forward into the future, leaders that are open to change, pastors that are open to change, who are happy to have a real dialogue and really listen to those coming after them, will find themselves in the best position to reach those people. And so I'm not saying that we need to rethink uh, Christian orthodoxy at all. I'm not saying that we change Christ Christian orthodox belief, but I am saying this, how we communicate that and how we are trying to be effective in reaching people needs to change. And we need to have a, 
ongoing conversations of how we can adjust and change to communicate well to those coming after that. And I, I was just thinking this week, showing my age again, that um, this problem of communicating in, intergenerationally is not a new one. Uh, when I was um, uh, at high school, a song came out by a band called Mike and the Mechanics, um, headed up by a guy called Mike Rutherford. And there's a brilliant, brilliant singer called Paul Carrick from Birmingham. He sang the song called The Living Years. Anyone heard of the song Living Years? I'm going to read the lyrics to you because it describes the relationship between a father and a son. The son has just lost his father and he wishes that he had said some things to his dad while he was alive. And it just encapsulates for me the problem that we have connecting with each other across generations. This is not a new thing. This is what the, the lyrics say. Every generation blames the one before. All of their frustrations come beating on your door. I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. Crumpled bits of paper, filled with imperfect thoughts, stilted conversations. I'm afraid that that's all we've got. You just don't see it. I see it. It's perf I say it's perfect sense. You just can't get agreement in the present tense. We all talk a different lang language, talking in defense. Say it loud. Say it clear. You can listen as well as you hear. It's too late when you die to admit. You don't see eye to eye. It's powerful, man. It's 35 years old, that song, and it still speaks about the very thing that I'm trying to address this morning. And it carries on and says, so we open up a quarrel between the future and the past. We, we, we sacrifice the future. It's the bitterness that lasts. So don't yield to the fortunes that you sometimes see as fate. It may have a, you may have a different perspective on a different day. And if you don't give up, you don't give in, you may just be okay. Isn't that true? We have to keep on engaging with each other, keep on trying to listen to younger people and people coming after us. What are the issues that they really hold in their hearts? And we try, must try and see the world from their perspective so that we can open the door so that they too can know the fullness of God in their lives. Amen? This is the great challenge. The third thing that I want to say is... Um, and going to be an ongoing trend that we need to acknowledge is um, the line between digital life and real life is getting thinner and thinner all the time. All right? Particularly for younger people. The line between digital life and real life is becoming thinner and thinner. And so out of necessity, we started streaming our meetings here at Forest Town because of COVID. And I want to just thank the media team um, again for the amazing thing they've done. They've had to learn uh, new skills and work really hard to, to make things happen. But the trends in our culture are showing that hybrid church, that is church that, on, that embraces both online and in-person meetings, is going to be a church that continues to thrive. Simply put, younger people slip easily between digital and in-person worlds. And I want to use Taylor Swift as a perfect example of this. Anyone heard of Taylor Swift? I hope so. Man, if we haven't heard of Taylor Swift, we are in big, big problems. All right? She's modeled how a strong digital presence can fuel in-person experiences. 
let me, get, let me just give you some, some stats here. She had an album come out in 2022 called Midnight's. Anyone listen to it? Oh, shame. Shame on you. She's brilliant. She's a brilliant songwriter, amazing young woman. Come on, old people. It broke all the streaming records on Spotify. She's just become the first woman to have 100 million monthly Spotify. Um, they've met, Ed Sheeran and others have done that before. She's the first woman this week to go over 100 million listeners on Spotify. She had simultaneously held all the top positions on the Billboard charts when Midnight came out. It's also, here's the thing I'm trying to say to you. It also sold, she sold 500,000 vinyls. You know vinyls like old people have in their homes? Half a million vinyls in one week. Now, to put in perspective, that's more than the Beatles. That's more than Queen. That is more than Elton John in their heyday sold in one week. Just, just listen to what I'm saying to you. She did all of that better than them. And in the digital world, where streaming is the main source of getting your music out, how does she do it? Because she recognized that actually an online presence can fuel what you do live. And people get excited about being with something that's happening. Here's another stat for you. Um, when her, her um, Eros tour went on sale, um, Ticketmaster actually had to shut down. Two million tickets were sold in a single day for her tour. Two million tickets in one day shut the entire Ticketmaster system down until they could get it up again, running properly, because the demand was so high. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Online, strong online presence, online and, and digital stuff doesn't have to be the enemy of what happens in person. It can fuel and excite people to be part of what happens in person. And so I want to say to you that we're going to have to continue to walk that line of the digital world and the in-person world where we gather as God's people and we worship together so that we can have a robust online presence that helps people connect that can't be in the meetings for whatever reason because the, on, the, the, the line between real life and digital life is getting thinner and thinner month on month. All right. We want to strive to have a strong online presence without giving in pressure for, for, for people to perform or be professional, but simply that people can experience online what happens here on a Sunday morning and then they can be part of it wherever they are. My friend, uh, one of my friends is in Italy at the moment, and I texted him this morning. He's on Lake Como. Michael DeMeo is on Lake Como. He, said he's, he texts me back, said he's having a great time. Uh, how, what makes that possible? Only the digital world. We can connect wherever we are. Perhaps he's even watching online. I don't know. But isn't that a cool thing? We can connect with people from all over the world. Right, so that's the first section of what I want to speak about this morning. Yes, I'm getting to that, yeah. Um, and so, thank you for reminding me, but I'm, I'm going to get there. Um, so, those are three trends that we need to acknowledge, we need to be aware of. My generation is passing away. The old is passing away. The old is going into the retirement. And what is coming after is the new. 
the millennial generation, 20-somethings to 40-somethings, and Gen Z, they are the ones that are coming, and we have to do all that we can to make their job easy so that the gospel can go to that generation as well. Amen? So now let me just make some comments about our church specifically and how much our church has changed in the last three years. And I want to just say a couple of things. I want to quote some stuff by Tim Keller, which I found really helpful. Let me start by quoting something of an article that he wrote. This is what he says. One of the most common reasons for pastoral leadership at making mistakes is a blindness to the significance of church size. Size has an enormous impact on how church functions. There's a size culture that profoundly affects how decisions are made, how relationships flow, how effectiveness is evaluated, and what ministers, staff, and lay leaders do. We tend to think of the chief differences between churches mainly in denominational or theological terms, but that underestimates the impact of size on how a church operates. The difference between how a church of 100 and a church of 1,000 functions may be as great as the difference between a Presbyterian and a Baptist church of the same size. The staff person who goes from a church of 400 to a church of 1,000 is in as many ways making a far greater change than if he or she moved from one denomination to another. Now hear this. A large church is not simply a bigger version of a small church. Yeah? The difference in communication community form, formation and decision-making processes are so great that the leadership skill required in each are of almost completely different orders. As the church grows, you have to lead differently. And the church also has to recognize that as the church grows. Most people, uh, every church has a culture that goes with its size and which must be accepted. Most people tend to prefer a certain size culture. And unfortunately, many of them give their favorite size culture a moral or a spiritual status that treats the other size categories as spiritually and morally inferior. Now, I have to say I've seen this, definitely, over the years that I've led church. And so people may insist that the only biblical way to do church is to practice church of a certain size. Despite the fact that the congregation they attend is maybe too big or too small to fit into that preferred culture. It's very, very profound what he's saying. And then he continues and he says this, every church has aspects of its natural size culture that must be resisted. Larger churches have a great deal of difficulty keeping track of members who drop out or fall away from faith, and that should never be accepted as inevitable. Rather, a large church must continually struggle to improve their pastoral care and discipleship. Out of necessity, a large church must use organizational techniques from business, but the danger is that ministry becomes too results-orientated and focused on outcomes like attendance, membership, and giving, rather than the goal of holiness and character growth. Again, this tendency should not be accepted as inevitable. Rather, new strategies for focusing on love must always be generated. 
Are you still with me? I'm just going to, one, one more paragraph. A smaller church by its nature gives immature, outspoken, and opinionated people a significant degree of power over the whole body. <laughs> Can I say that again? Smaller churches, by their nature, give immature, outspoken, and opinionated members a significant degree of power over the whole body. Since everyone knows everyone else, when a member of the family or small group expresses a strong opposition to the direction set by a pastor or the leaders, their misery can hold the whole congregation hostage. So the fact that they're unhappy, they let everybody know. And they threaten to leave. And if the majority of people, uh, then the majority of people urge leaders to, de to, to desist in their project, so it's extremely difficult to get complete consensus about a program or direction in a group of 50 to 150 people, especially in today's diverse, fragmented society. And smaller churches have an unwritten rule that for any new initiative to be implemented, nearly everyone must be happy with it. Can any of you recognize any of this? Uh, this is like, I, I recognize all of this. I've been doing church for a lot of, lot of time. And I've seen all of these things. There is no, uh, leaders of small churches must be brave enough to lead and confront uh, immature members in spite of the unpleasantness involved. There's no best size for a church. Every size presents great difficulties and also many opportunities for ministry that churches of other sizes cannot undertake, at least as not as well. Only together can churches of all sizes be all that Christ wants the church to be. Come on. Yes, we need small churches, we need medium churches, we need large churches, and the trick for us is to recognize where we are and to respond accordingly and to lead accordingly and to organize ourselves accordingly so everyone can feel connected still into the family of God while the church continues to grow. Yes? And so I, I can't make the church grow. God makes the church grow. And God makes the church grow according to what he has for us as a local church. And we need to acknowledge that and enjoy it. So we're not always continuing looking for something else or longing for something else, just enjoying the church as it's been made and as God adds, so it can continue to thrive. And so let me just land this this morning. Having shared all of that as background, how do we continue to respond as this local church to, as God adds and changes as we go forward in the next five years? At the moment, we have around 250 committed members of our church, 120 children on top of that. In addition to that, there are another 170 people in the life of the church, either students or more mobile people that are a little bit in, a little bit out, part of the community, visit, but are not committed as members. So that takes us to around 500 people in this church community. Isn't that amazing? That goes up and down. The students come, the students go, but that's roughly kind of where we are. And, and that means we've had to adjust and change and lead differently in, in, as, as the church has grown. And so let me just point to, as I finish, to some things that um, I want to bring your attention to. How do we continue to flourish as the church grows? And what is the character of a larger church? We are somewhere between a medium-sized church growing into a little bit of a larger church. So in a small church, the primary circle of belonging is the entire group. 
you belong, there's 40 people, you all know each other, you belong to the group. That's how you know you're part of the church community. In a medium-sized church, it's kind of where we are right now, there are lots of interest groups in the church, aren't there? There's the youth, youth group and the kids, and there's the outreach group, and there's care for the elderly, and there's the worship group, and there's the welcome team, and there's the people that love to do this. And the people. These are interest groups around which people find connection and identity, and that's how the church functions. But as the church gets bigger, I've always said this, the church as it gets bigger must get smaller at the same time. What do I mean by that? The primary way, the primary circle of belonging in any large church is the small group. That's it. Have to have good life groups, connect groups, whatever you want to call them. And so that can be a group of four to 12, 15 people. And in that group, there has to be more than just Bible study, more than just kind of meeting together. There needs to be fellowship and worship, but it must be ministry orientated as well. There must be a sense in those small groups as the church gets bigger that you're finding connection with people on an intimate level. You're getting to know them. You pray together. You worship together. They know you. You know them. And there's a sense of family and community. It's like mini church without being church. Does that make sense? That's what a small group should be. And that's how we connect and a particular challenge for us as a church is that we've always been a church. Uh, we are not a local church in the sense of a parish church. We have people in this congregation, as I look around, from Potters Bar, from Hatfield, from, where are you from? St. Albans. From London Coney, from Harpenden, from Hartford, from Welland Garden City, from, Zach, you've just moved. Nebworth. We have people from all over. So the challenge for us as a church, as people find connection and they come into the vision of what God is doing here, is how do we keep connected in all those areas? The only way to do it is small groups. It's the only way. Or else we're going to end up with people not finding community, not finding family. All right. And so... Leadership also functions differently as the church gets bigger. In the small church, leaders are selected for their ability and their time to serve, and that's a very wonderful and desirable thing. In a medium-sized church, people are selected for leadership in terms of they must be mature believers, they must have some skill, they must also have time, and that's an absolutely vital and um, necessary thing. But in a larger church, leaders also in addition to all those things, must be committed to the church's bigger vision. Must be. Can't have people in the church doing their own thing all the time, taking people for their little thing that they're doing on the side, on the side of the church, and so the vision of the bigger thing begins to suffer. Now, do you hear what I'm saying? Because there's more people. So we have, to, we have to take care of God's people. And so it can't be that a larger church now becomes like the supplier of everyone else's ministry. No. Leaders in larger churches must be committed to the vision and the calling of what that church has been called to. Amen. And that is vital as we go forward, as, as, as the church grows and, and continues to develop. And so... In a larger church, the eldership team, the trustees, they work with the senior pastor to set the overall vision and goals and to evaluate the ministry. Um, unlike the small church, you know, in the small church, uh, 
the elders and pastor oversee all the staff and they do everything. See, and that's, that's part of the thing that has to change in, in our minds together is that the pastor can't be expected to do everything because then you're limited by the pastor. You're limited by the pastor's energy, his gifting, or he or she gifting, what they can do, what they've got time for. No, we, we, we need each other. We need each other as the church gets bigger and bigger. And so in a large church, the role of individual staff members becomes increasingly specialized, and that also goes for the task of the senior minister who has to concentrate on preaching, on vision casting and strategizing, and has to let go of most of the administration in the church. Otherwise, the pastor becomes a bottleneck. And so we have a brilliant staff team. We have a brilliant group of specialist people that take care of the church. And in a real sense, if you want to know what's happening in the, the children's ministry, I am not the guy to speak to. Rachel is the person to speak to. Yeah, I do know what's going on, and we talk about the strategy, but the detail. Rachel is the person you must speak to. If you want to know what's going on with the worship, I know what's going on in the worship, but the person who knows the detail of what's going on in the worship is Johnny. Must be like that. And we connect on the staff and we talk and we strategize, but they are the people that are executing the ministry. If you want to know how all the ministries flow and are working together and how we're helping each other and the teamwork that happens, speak to Helen. Yes? Because she's coordinating and pulling the strings and tying everything together. If you want to know about the preaching and leadership and where the church is going, speak to me. Yes? You're getting what I'm saying. We've got to have that for the church to flourish and so that the church can multiply and continue to um, thrive. And so in a small church, decisions happen from the bottom up through powerful lay people or individuals who have a vision for something and it happens from the bottom up. In a medium-sized church, as we cater for everybody's um, needs in the church, that's how ministry happens in ministry groups. But essentially, when the church gets a little bit bigger, it has to be more kind of decisions are made on the staff with the elders and the trustees, and it's a top-down kind of thing. It has to be like that because you, make, you can't, you can't um, make decisions quickly otherwise. If you have to ask 350 people about, you know, are we going to change the color of the chairs? And 350 people have to vote. It's just not going to happen, and it's going to take forever. Are you with me? Okay. All right. So how do we continue to grow? Yes, I will talk about that now here. Thank you. You're so helpful this morning, my darling. Five minutes to finish. So how does a larger church continue to grow? Well, I've said a small church grows through new groups, classes, ministries initiated by key individuals and the pastor. Tim Keller in this article, he calls that a backyard approach because it grows sort of informally in the backyard through relationship. In a medium-sized church, the church grows through ministries of needs in the congregation. So various groups like the youth, the seniors, young married couples, those exploring faith, alpha, all the groups help to cater for the needs of the church. Keller calls that the side door approach because it brings people from all the parts of the community into the church. And lastly, the large church, however, grows through the front door. And what is the front door? The front door is the Sunday meeting. 
What happens on a Sunday is the key thing that draws people into the bigger vision of the church. So this is why it becomes a little bit more pressured in the sense of you have to have people preaching that can preach. Yes, that are good communicators because now there's three, 400 people in the room and you've got to have some skill in communication. The worship leaders and the musicians have to be on a, a certain skill level. Why do I say, well, and I'm picking on musicians because I am one, and I've been through this myself. You know, when you're in a small church, Aunt Meg is leading the worship, and she can't really sing in tune, and she doesn't play the guitar very well, but you know, we all love Aunt Meg because, you know, she's such a wonderful person. And so we extend grace to Auntie Meg every time she leads worship on a Sunday. And it's not particularly transcendent, or we don't feel like, we connect very much with God, but it's, you know, we love her. And so she does her thing, and that's cool. But <laughs> when you have 400 people who don't have a relationship directly with the worship leader, we don't, you can't extend grace in the same way. You, when you come into a community and there's 500 people in the room and there's someone leading worship, the expectation is that person can sing and play in tune, and actually I'm going to connect with God in this room, and there's a sense of transcendence and worship that we are connecting with God as we worship together. And it's not just because I like the guy leading worship or the woman leading worship, or I like the preacher because he's my mate. Is he expounding the word? Is he actually feeding me? Is he helping me in my walk with Jesus? That's what becomes more and more important as the church gets bigger and bigger. Are you with me? And so these things, we have to consider these things and just be honest about them. Um, and I want to say this. We are in the process of change, of crossing from one threshold to another. We're not trying to force that. It's, it's one of the things that is happening. What do we do? Well, we multiply options. That's the one way you can roll with the growth. When you're from three to 500, we, you can still get away with having not so good small groups. But as soon as you buffet that four or five hundred um, barrier, you have to have to get your small group program running so that people can be connected. And we are doing our best to do that this year because of uh, during COVID we couldn't meet as small groups, and we need to just recognise that's a major part of the church that we are trying to get in in line. And so, as I've said, it's not just small groups that do Bible study. It's small groups that pastor people, love people, eat together, enjoy being with each other, pray together. That's the kind of group I'm talking about that we can see many, many more of those develop. And so we are going to be putting up a board at the back, a television screen in the next couple of weeks where you will see every life group that we have and the faces of the people leading the life group, the area that they, they lead uh, their group so that you can join one. And if you don't have one a group in your area, please come and speak to me, and we will make a plan to try and start something in the area that you live. And so we've done other things like multiply meetings. That's another option that we can multiply. So we've started running an evening meeting to give you opportunity. If you can't make the morning meeting, you can make the evening meeting. Smaller group of people connect with deep friendship in a different way. And all of these things help to anticipate and multiply as change comes. The second option is that we have to multiply staff. Up to 500 
churches can still get away with a couple of generalist pastors doing a lot of stuff. But as the church gets bigger and bigger, you need more specialist people to take the load and focus on one particular area. So in the last couple of years, Helen and I, with the basis of the administration and stuff for many, many years, and Rachel has been added as a children's worker, and Johnny has been added as a worship leader, and we've, uh, Alex has helped us with our admin, as um, Katrina had to um, have a ba- not had to have a baby, had a baby. <laughs> And so she, she couldn't, she couldn't co- continue on her role. And now we have added also to our staff over the holidays, Chisholm has been added to our staff. And I hope you will make her feel welcome. I hope you will make her feel at home. And we will pray for her next week when everyone is back from um, holidays. But her role is going to be specifically to work with Rachel but specifically targeted on the teenagers. And I really hope that you will see them in all of that I've said this morning, the importance and the necessity of investing in these kind of things so we can see the next generation touched and encouraged and refreshed in their relationship with Jesus. And that we'll sow our finances and our time so that we can see that happen. Amen? And so what I'm saying is that the church gets bigger. You need more increasingly gifted, not just workers in a general sense, but people that are leaders in their own rights that can lead their particular area of ministry with passion and include others that need to be mature, independent, Uh, able to supervise others, able to lead, and that is the kind of staff team that we are trying to build, all right? So that every single group in this church can be catered for and ministered to uh, in a a wonderful way. And the third change is that we have to try and become more deliberate in how we assimilate people into the church, and that includes how we welcome visitors and incorporate them into the church. And I have to say that over the last couple of years, uh, Helen and the welcome team have done an amazing, amazing um, job at that. I think we are getting really much better at that. Um, we have welcome meals. We've just revamped our webpage, which will be um, in the next month or so will be online. And I'll speak that through with you as well, uh, which integrates with church suites. It integrates in a pr- very wonderful way that everything is accessible online and we can get people connected into the church much more easily. So I'm excited about that. And uh, we, all of these things are trying to help people find connection, come into the church easily and find a home in this wonderful family. And then lastly, just by, as a comment, um, my role continues to change. And I'm not trying to say that I don't love people, that I don't want to pastor people, that I'm not a shepherd. I am, all of those things. But my role must continue to develop into being a preaching, uh, vision casting, strategizing role. And I simply cannot see every person in the church and nor can Helen. And so I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that's what it is. It is what it is. We love we want, to, we want to love as many people as we can. We love all of you, and we will always make time for you, every one of you. But our role cannot simply be seeing everybody all the time. Why? Because we're going to be exhausted, and you're going to be exhausted. And what did Moses and Jethro say to Moses? He said, this is not good for you, and it's not good for the people. Get some other people to help. Come on. So we're doing our best to get other people to help and to get a key team of leaders that can take this church forward and to make it much more than what it has been while we 
have been leading it and are leading it. Amen. I know that was a bit wafty and rambly this morning, but I hope you're encouraged because um, the future is good and God has got a great plan for us as a church community. And uh, I want to encourage you to come and join with us as we go forward, whatever your age, whatever, if you're an old one like me or you're a young millennial or you're young, even younger teenager, there's a place for you in this church and God wants to take us all forward together so that we can see this community changed and this community blessed. Amen. Amen. Zach. Do you have a song? I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah. Okay. Let's just uh, finish our time and we're going to enjoy some coffee together. Let's just worship. Thanks to the Lord for all his... Um, said this morning all he's doing in this wonderful church and we so we do really love you guys it's, it's wonderful to be back it's wonderful to see all your faces and to see some faces i don't even know so if you've been visiting over the the summer when i've not we've not been here we'd love to visit uh, love to meet you now over coffee right let's just stand and i'm going to pray and uh, we're going to finish our time together thank you jesus for the future that you have for us thank you lord that your your future is good. Your, your, your future is always has our best interest at heart. And I want to thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in the life of this church over the last 23 years. And, uh, Lord, as we look to the future, the next five, the next 10 years, we look forward with excitement because we know that you are faithful in every way. And as much as you've cared for us in the past 23 years, you are going to care for us in the future as we move forward. And so I pray, Lord, I thank you for every single person that you um, are adding Thank you for those from different generations that you're adding to this church. And Lord, help us to be wise as we move into the future to get the right people in the right places so that the church can thrive and we can see your goodness poured out all over this county as we have people coming from so many places. Thank you, Lord, that you've rooted us in Christ. You are planting us in this family and you want us to be fruitful in our lives. And I just speak your blessing over this church community over the next years that lie ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.